Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is December the 15th, 2023, a Friday in the second or maybe the third last Friday in 2023. As things wind down, we're going to turn to crime. Crime doesn't take a holiday uh, and marriages don't either. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, actually, it was last year in October, I had a husband and wife team, Sean French and Nikki Gerard. They're best-selling writers, and they write under the name of Nikki French, um, uh, and they're authors of a number of very uh, popular crime novels. Uh, the latest one was The Favor, and we talked about what it's like as a husband and wife team to write crime uh, novels, both in terms of the marriage and the literature. We're back with another husband and wife team, Geneva Rose and Drew Pine, have a new book out. Geneva Rose will be very familiar to many of you. She's a best-selling writer, New York Times best-selling crime writer. Drew Pine is her husband. And one of the things that strikes me, not that uh, I notice these sorts of things, is when it comes to Sean, um, Sean uh, French and Nikki Gerard, they combine their names into Nikki French. But uh, for Geneva Rose and Drew Pine's new book, Crime Time, Geneva Rose is leading and her name is much larger than drew pine uh, and i have them both here from their home in chicago uh geneva and drew was that purposeful is uh is um is geneva the star here and drew the uh the guy who serves the tea and and, and does the typing <laughs> uh, it was actually suggested by our publisher simon and schuster um simply because I have a large readership and you know my first novel sold two million copies and this was Drew's first project. I did say they could be the same size, but I, I pushed for hers to be larger. Yeah, you you telling the truth, Drew? Yes. Yeah. Really I mean it was just for me, it was just it's like better because if you get bad reviews, you can blame the other person, right? <laughs> no, it was it was more it was for me, it was just realistic, right? She's had a very successful writing career, has you know lots of books out has a very large installed fan base. And so um, I thought it just made more sense to have her be, you know, more front and center on the cover. So who did the convincing here? Uh, uh, Drew, you got your MBA, um, you're a business guy. Uh, you're not as well known as an author, although you will be now with this new book. Who, who came up with the idea of both of you writing a book together? Well, we've always wanted to write something together. Um, Hashtag crime time is actually inspired by true events that Drew and I both experienced. And when I came up with the idea for this, uh, making it an audio original and writing it as a comedy mystery, I came to Drew and I was like, you know, we've thought about writing together. How would you feel about writing this since it's based on an experience we both had? And he was on board. Yep. Well, but you said you came to him. I mean, he's not a client. He's not a customer. <laughs> I went down to his office. He's your husband, uh, Geneva. <laughs> I did go into his office when he was working. I was like, hi, would you like to write a story with me? So what was it like? As I said, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of uh, Sean French and Nikki Gerard, but they said that being married actually helped their work because they, they think differently. And by combining, uh, they brought a lot of 
intellectual firepower to the table that they wouldn't have had if they were just writing a book on their own. Did you find the same thing? Yeah, I think that the process ended up being a lot more seamless than we even anticipated. Uh, I knew coming into this, Geneva had a lot more experience where I was the newcomer and I was interested to see how her own processes and what she was used to was going to, you know, kind of accept a new person coming into it. Um, but we were able to just kind of riff off of each other and, you know, speak our ideas out loud. I mean, it helps with the audio drama format that it's written like a script. So when we would write lines, we would, you know, speak them out and make sure that they felt authentic to how people would actually speak and act. Um, and yeah, I think we were just able to combine both of our senses of humor, both of our given life experiences to turn into something that was, you know, kind of all encompassing and would, you know, really resonate with, you know, most people. Geneva, as you said, you're a, a New York Times bestselling writer, lots of very popular books. How did you feel writing a book with someone else? Is this the first time you've written a book with somebody else? Yes, this was my first time writing with someone else. And I mean, it was a little bit to get used to of having someone like chiming in because typically it's just me at my desk alone. But In other words, you hated it at the beginning. <laughs> I would be like, shush, I got this. Um, but once we, once we found like that balance too, and I told him, I was like, you know, this, even if you don't feel, because he was like, well, I'm not going to be able to contribute as much as you do. And I'm like, you will jump into this. This is a completely new format for myself to write in, as I typically just write novel format. And as Drew said, it was written like a script. So it was kind of a learning experience for both of us of telling a story through just dialogue and sound direction. How long have you been married? It, five years in January. And no kids or anything? No, not yet. Do you think you could have done it with kids if you'd have had a, a couple of babies or, or young kids running around the house screaming? Uh, no. Given my work schedule at the time, I would say no, because I was working six days a week and my only off day was Saturday. And so that was the only time we could write um, hashtag crime time. So if we had additional responsibilities to what we were already doing, I don't I don't think we would have been able to pull it off and or at least it would have taken a lot longer than it did. And at the time, too, I was writing two books because I was on two deadlines. So I was writing my next thriller, which releases in April. And then I was writing a rom-com for Amazon, which released in October. So, no, we would not have been able to do it, at least at that time. So you wrote, well, you were writing three books at a time, Geneva? Yes, I did. I wrote three at a time. Did not think I'd be able to do it, but somehow I got them done. How do you, uh, that's just, I mean, most people can't write one book at a time, let alone three. I mean, the... The one with Amazon came about. I didn't have a story or anything. They just approached my agent. The editor did and said, I read her other books. I think she can write romance. Is she interested? And I had been rejected by Amazon like six times. So I was like, yes, I will come up with something. And that just kind of fell into my lap. I wasn't expecting it. And then with this one, we had written the first episode and an outline. And then it went out on pitch. Um, and we didn't know if we'd get an offer, but we had a couple of offers. And so it wasn't something that we were planning to do. And it wasn't set in stone until we got an offer that we were going to write the rest of it. Drew, what else do you do? What's your quote unquote day job? My day job now is working with and for Geneva. But at the time of writing it, I was working in investment banking. And you prefer working? with and for your wife? Yes, very much so. Yeah, I don't make them work as hard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what exactly, you, I mean, in addition to the writing, what are you doing? Representing her, doing her business side? 
Yeah. So the financial side of things, uh, you know, taxes, um, you know, running payroll, also handling, you know, merch, signed copies. Uh, I actually also help moderate some of her social media platforms, particularly her Facebook reader group. Um, and then also content creation, then kind of supporting her in anything that she needs that comes up with, you know, either email traffic, um, business inquiries, and then also uh, writing. If one of you were murdered, do you think that the police would immediately suspect the other one? They would immediately suspect me. Even if it was you who was murdered? They would, yes. They would think I drove him to murder me. Why, Geneva? I don't know, just the books I write and, yeah. Do you have a criminal mind? I mean, I, I definitely think I could be a criminal. I'm not, I promise. When you say you could be, what do you mean by that? I mean, I've written so many books and, you know, done a lot of research. I, I watch a lot of true crime. I mean, I could. I mean, I, I don't know. I have too much of a conscience to do it, though. So that's the only thing that holds me back. So you have the mind of a criminal, just not the morality or the absence of morality. Yeah, I just I would feel too bad. Do you agree, Drew? <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> and Geneva, what about Drew? What would he be, the accountant uh, of the criminal? Does he have any crime in him? No, I think he'd be the snitch for sure. <laughs> he'd be the snitch? Why? Yeah, he would. <laughs> he would do the right thing. <laughs> he would, but is snitching the right thing? I don't know. It depends on what you're snitching about. If it's, if it's uh, preventing someone from getting hurt, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are talking with Geneva Rose and Drew Pine, the husband and wife team behind a fascinating new true crime book. Crime Times, just out. Um, uh, Geneva Rose is the best-selling author of The Perfect Marriage. Uh, Geneva, there's some irony there. As the best-selling author of The Perfect Marriage, the next project you do is with your husband. Yeah, um, so The Perfect Marriage, it has the word perfect crossed out. And that one's about a defense attorney who defends her husband when he's accused of murdering his mistress. So a little different, not so much the perfect marriage. Um, but yeah, that was my debut novel that went on to sell. I think it's up to like 2 million copies. And yeah, now we're writing together. How did you feel, Drew? Did you feel a sense of sort of a little bit nervous that you were going to jump into bed, so to speak, with your with your famous wife to write this book? Yeah, I knew that there was going to be a tremendous amount of knowledge and experience and success that she was bringing to the table with what she's done with her own novels. And there was a small part of me that wondered if I was just going to get, you know, steamrolled, so to speak, and would just be kind of sitting in the corner while she's like, I've, I've got this. But it was very, very collaborative. And, um, you know, we did all of it together side by side and bounced a lot of ideas off. So it ended up being a uh, you know, an even more seamless and, and better process than I anticipated. Geneva, what did Drew bring? I mean, you're the best-selling author, as you said, you, your first book sold 2 million copies. What did Drew bring that you didn't already have? Um, Apart from the tea and the, the late night snacks. Um, I would say, I mean, especially since this is, has this audio original has a lot of humor in it, being able to like riff jokes off of one another to ensure they're landing and they are funny. Um, that was like really helpful to be able to go back and forth and come up with uh, the humor in there. And then because the two leads are a female who's the a crime novelist and then her half sibling who she's recently discovered, Chase, he's an aspiring TikTok star. So the fact that we had a male and a female as our leads 
having a male and a female write it, we were able to capture, you know, Nadia's side with my, myself and then Chase's side with Drew. And how, how did the marriage come out of this? Stronger, weaker, different? I think once we finished, it was stronger. <laughs> <laughs> well, revise that. You, in other words, you almost got divorced while you were writing it. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> it was just a lot that we were working with his full-time job and then me writing three projects. It was a lot. It was a lot of stress overall. Not really this project. Actually, when I was, we were writing this project on Saturdays, those felt more leisurely than the thriller I was writing and the rom-com I was writing and then his work that he was doing. I mean, it's all very well discussing a novel and bouncing ideas off each other and telling each other jokes. But someone has to sit down and write this thing. Unless you use ChatGPT, they don't write themselves. How did you divide the labor? We kind of just switched on and off. Um, and we wrote it through Final Draft because it is written like a script. Um, mm. and instead of stage direction, we actually had to write the sound direction that would be put in there. So if it was like police sirens, we'd have to note that or footsteps or gunshots or whatever else. Um, so that one, in terms of writing it, we would just kind of, one of us would start, and then if they got tired, the other one felt they wanted to, but we would be talking the entire time while one person was typing. Andrew, did you do a lot of the writing? I mean, you're not a writer. You're an accountant. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I ended up doing a lot more of the writing than I thought I would. Um, like I said, I thought in the beginning it would be mostly her, and I would just be kind of lucky to tag along. But, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, so one person would get an idea for a scene or would feel in the flow with what they were writing and, you know, kind of grab the keyboard and, and go for a while. Um, and then, like she said, if, you know, someone got tired or wanted to step away, then the other person could step in. So the division of labor ended up being like this very natural thing of where, you know, when it felt right, it felt right. Um, and there was just a good mix of one person typing and then the other person typing. Yeah, I I, I, I'm not sure I'd want to be your editor on this. The, the writers and editors generally don't get along anyway, but having a, a husband and wife team, even if you disagree, did you tend to unite when it came to your editor, if your editor wanted to change something and you both disagreed, or, or, or was it more of a, a three-way kind of power dynamic? I think we pretty much agreed with any of We didn't have a ton of feedback. I know there was like, one part or one episode that really got ripped apart, but we knew there was an issue with it. Um, I mean, I know in terms of my editorial process that I've done with my other projects, I'm typically very, very agreeable. Um, it's very rare that I disagree. And if it is, I there's a reason I disagree and I make my point. Um, but with this one, I don't think there was really anything that we really disagreed on. Yeah, I don't have another uh, editorial process so far to compare it to, but it, it was very it was very easy and agreeable and our editor um, on the project was great. And so anything that she su suggested, um, we didn't really have any major like headbutting uh, scenarios. I've only just met you guys, but I have to say, if I'm getting into headbutting, I'd rather be headbutting Drew than Geneva. You, you seem quite fearsome, Geneva. I wouldn't want to get in an argument with you. I, you your assessment is correct. I'm lovely. <laughs> Well, you are lovely. I mean, that's even more reason to be lovely, to be fearsome and lovely. Lovely people are fearsome, right? Well, we are talking a wonderfully engaging criminal conversation with a criminal uh, crime, a crime husband and wife team, a new team. Uh, uh, everyone's familiar, of course, with Geneva Rose, best-selling author, and Drew Pine, her 
husband. They live in uh, Chicago and they have a new book out that they co-wrote uh, called Crime Time. I want to thank uh, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics for bringing us such high quality content. going to run short feature on liberties and then we'll be back with uh drew and geneva to talk more about the book itself we don't want to give away all its secrets but we want to tempt you all to to read it or listen to it so we'll be back in a second seem to be having some problems running our video so maybe we won't uh run the liberties video we'll just remind everyone that liberties is an excellent new publication uh can you both still hear me uh drew and uh, drew and uh, geneva yes so let's get into the book tell me again crime time we don't want to we don't want uh, to give it any secrets away. We want everyone to, to listen to it or buy it. But tell us the story and how it's connected with true crime. So the story is about two half-siblings that have recently discovered one another. Nadia, the older sibling, is a crime novelist. And then Chase, the younger sibling, is an aspiring TikTok star. Um, and then the two of them witness an armed burglary occurring in the apartment above Nadia's townhome. And they call the police. Then they go up after the burglars flee and they uncover that their neighbor is actually a crime lord who is, um, has an entire operation above their townhome. So they call the police. There's also dirty cops involved. And Chase decides to film everything and upload them to TikTok unbeknownst to Nadia. They go super viral overnight and then plunge them into a world of crime that neither of them are prepared for. And it is inspired by true events because Drew and I actually witnessed an armed burglary in our four-unit building where three men broke in, armed, and they robbed the apartment above us. We called the police. It took them a while to arrive. And then when the burglars fled, we decided to go up and check on our neighbor. Um, we actually did discover that he was a drug lord, and that was actually his drug operation upstairs, which is why he was targeted. And there was still a lot of drugs and cash left behind. And then we had to call the police again. They finally came and they got DEA and ATF involved. And then I was capturing some of this on TikTok and people were warning me that I was going to be murdered because snitches get stitches, but I wasn't. Drew, did, did you have to, did you, did you worry that Geneva rushed upstairs after the murder and got all involved? Were you a bit nervous about that? Given yeah. Did you suspect that your neighbors were drug dealers? Did they drive around in black BMWs with guns under their leather coat? No, they, he was very, very quiet, which probably lends himself to uh, doing a good job at it for several months. Um, but yeah, when she said, I want to go up there and, and, and check out the unit and make sure that he's not hurt, I was adamant that she just wait for the police because we didn't know what we were going to find. Um, and I tried to stop her and was unsuccessful. Geneva, did you solve the crime before the, the police arrived? Yeah, I discovered that he was a crime lord and Drew... How did you discover that before the police came? Because I went into the apartment and there were still boxes and boxes of drugs. And there's a whole stack of cash and there was a... <laughs> a, le a ledger of, of different, you know, drug orders and the amounts. And there was like a, a silver tray with like, you know, cocaine or white powder residue all over it. And security cameras everywhere it was uh quite the operation and garbage bags full of marijuana was still so it's not much for a, for a for a mystery crime writer that's a bit disappointing i mean there's no mystery there 
Yeah, it was just right out, right out in the open. I was hoping for a dead body, but there wasn't any. No, hopefully, hopefully, no one. Was they there. left, so it was the, the place was robbed, but they left all the drugs. You know, they they that's made, what they couldn't get. They couldn't. They made like five or six trips. Three of them did, and then I could hear them in the stairwell because I was watching people, <laughs> and they were getting spooked because they thought there was a van outside watching them, but really it was me on the other side of the door. So they fled when they got spooked. So that was what was left in the apartment after taking fifteen-ish boxes out. So I can only imagine what was in there before they went in there. That sounds like a, a perfect book of a, a crime writer who witnesses a real crime, a true crime in the apartment above them. Is that the narrative in the book? Yeah. And I mean, the big um, catalyst for the story is that the aspiring TikTok star puts it all up on TikTok, which exposes the dirty cops, which that's fictionalized. There are no dirty cops that I know of. Um, and Not in Chicago. And that would be unimaginable. Right? Yeah, never. <laughs> But then it goes crazy viral and they have, you know, the burglars after them, the crime lord, the guy that lives there who's just been exposed and the dirty cop that they showed on the TikTok all after them. So you've mentioned TikTok a few times. I know um, I've been looking around TikTok, uh, snooping around you. The audio recording was up on TikTok. How important is TikTok both in the narrative and in your own lives in terms of promoting your brand and developing awareness about this new book? Yeah, I mean, it's it plays a huge role in both, um, you know, in the narrative. It's like Geneva mentions the catalyst for why they get so much heat and attention on them is because they broadcast this out to the world um, and kind of expose some people that didn't want to be exposed. Um, and then in turn, for in our own personal lives, I mean, Geneva can speak to how much that had an impact on her career in the beginning, going viral with her first novel. Um, but it just continues every day to be a way for us to really stay engaged and interact with you know, her fans and, and now our, our fans um, across a, a, a variety of social media platforms, but TikTok in particular. Yeah, I, I jumped on TikTok when um, my first book released and I started like a book talk trend where you tell the story of the protagonist as if it's your own and then you show the book at the end, which that got 5 million views when I posted that video. Um, and since then, like we do lots of content, I've grown my following on there to over 700,000 followers. But even though Drew wasn't the writer before, people knew who he was because he does movie reactions. So he would come to my events and they'd be like, oh my God, that's Drew from TikTok. So it really worked nicely in terms of this story too, that it's so, the catalyst is TikTok. What, what do you think TikTok brings that X or Facebook or Threads or, or the other platforms don't bring? Why are you both attracted so much to, as, as writers and as personalities, brands, I guess, to TikTok? I mean, I worked in social media for a decade before I became an author. And, you know, the other platforms, the algorithms change so much. And they're more about you have to build that following before you can get discovered. Whereas TikTok, that algorithm, if your people are reacting to your content, regardless if you have five followers or a million followers, if they're engaging with it and they're watching it, it'll get pushed in front of people. And um, unlike Instagram or Facebook or X. What do you think of all this talk of banning TikTok in the US? People claim conservatives in particular that it's some sort of agency of the Chinese state. I think like there was a little point in time where I thought like, oh my gosh, this could get banned. Um, and that was actually while we were writing it. So I was like, oh, I hope this doesn't get banned before this releases because mm -hmm. otherwise outdated. I don't think it's going to happen now. I think that conversation has died down. And when you look at that bill, it was a net, basically net neutrality bill. 
that would actually apply to all platforms, not just TikTok. Anything over like a million subscribers or a million users would allow, um, you know, the government to access any of your information. So it was actually bundled in there and it was just called like the TikTok ban. But the whole bill was basically net neutrality 2.0. Uh, Drew, um, you 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 were active also on TikTok uh, as a movie guy. What were you doing on that in terms of movies? Um, actually, funny enough, started out where Geneva was just trying to show me some of her like teen rom com movies from when she was younger, mm. and I mean, I found the quality of them to be uh, low at best, and I just had some very like hot takes mid us watching them, and one night she decided to just film me ranting about one of them and post it on TikTok. And it got a good amount of traction and people seemed to find it really funny. So then we started just doing some more um, movies and then eventually it got recommended by actually her fan base that I uh, react to the Twilight series, which gave me a lot of content. I ended up doing like uh, between Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey, like several hundred, I think, reactions. And so that just kind of became its own like series within her her TikTok platform of you know Drew's Drew's reactions. Geneva um, TikTok, of course, is famous for its short form, very short form content. Do you see a connection between visibility on TikTok and all your followers and book sales? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that very first video I posted about the perfect marriage that went viral, it ended up selling eleven thousand copies in four days. And I can I kept going viral with just different videos promoting um, my books, and I think that helped it catapult it into getting to enough people that loved it that now it just has word of mouth marketing and it continues to sell very well even though I don't really promote it anymore. You noted earlier that Amazon had turned you down a few times. That to me is mystifying. Why would anyone ever turn you down, especially given? uh the fact that you're a brand you're popular you understand social media you can drive sales through TikTok. why was amazon resistant to you i mean there were a lot of publishers that said no and this was like when well, i was name some others the, the publishing industry doesn't get a lot of this stuff don't they uh, geneva um yeah they were behind with TikTok. so like even when my agent was like look what she's done with TikTok." at that point i think i had grown it to like four hundred thousand followers and we were getting rejections saying like well we don't care about TikTok." Now they care because they it's changed the industry. It's changed a lot of industries, um, like the music industry, the book industry. So I think they were just a little behind in seeing the different avenues that TikTok could provide in terms of gain, garnering readership, getting books in front of people, and building brands on the on that platform. So, sorry, go on, Drew. I was going to say they seemed to deem it a little too lowbrow in the beginning. Oh yeah, it was called lowbrow, and then all of a surprise, sudden, surprise, surprise. The publishing industry is a little. As you say, as again, you're using these euphemisms a bit slow. <laughs> doesn't get it. Yeah, dinosaurs. Or, to put it politely, can we have some other words? Uh, um, a little late to the game, I guess. Late to the game, dinosaurs. <laughs> Maybe they should be the the victim of a of a true crime. The whole publishing. <laughs> what advice would you guys give? people just starting out, um, either a husband and wife teams or single writers, crime writers, people who want to have your kind of lives. Um, where, where would you begin on TikTok? I mean, it's one thing to say, well, I have 400,000 followers. A lot of people have are on TikTok and they don't have 400,000 followers. Where should they begin and what advice would you give about building brands? 
In terms of TikTok, you know, I used to do a lot of like marketing videos from my books and trying to figure out a way to reach readers, but I expanded into sharing my life, Drew's life, his funny reactions, my funny stories about being an author or interactions I have. So I always say, don't just make it all about marketing your books because no one wants to watch the commercials, but they'll watch the commercials if the show is good. So you got to give them something to stay around rather than I'm just going to be sold to. So, and I think it's a really great platform to kind of grow that connection with your readership too, where they can get to know you and have, know about the books that are coming out way before it's even publicized because you're sharing that experience with them. So I would say, and just be your authentic self, just be you and don't try to like copy trends or be like others because it, it won't show as, or as authentic. And then I say too, if you don't like being on camera or you don't feel comfortable, don't do it because people watching you will know you don't want to be doing it. And should you maintain a degree of privacy, of mystery? I mean, your mystery writers, your personalities, I assume you, the camera isn't on when you're alone in the bedroom at night. Um, sh should one maintain a very formal wall between what you don't want your followers to see and what you're willing to reveal? I think it all depends on the individual and, and what they're comfortable sharing. I mean, if you are a naturally private person, there's certain things that you don't want to share. Um, you know, I know, for example, some people don't want their kids in their videos or they don't want other family members who have requested to, you know, not be in things. Um, but as much as you're comfortable sharing is what you should share. So if you ever feel like, oh, this is too invasive, I don't really want to put this out there, then, then don't. And if you are fine sharing it, then share it. So it should really kind of boil down to the individual person's comfort level with how private they want to be. It's interesting. You, you mentioned neither, you don't have kids. One day you probably will. As as, as a married couple, it'll be interesting to see how your kids will respond to being children of such visible personalities. Yeah, I mean, like now, like we don't show like where we live, like we don't show anything outside just for like privacy in that standpoint. And then in terms of like our family, I don't put anything on there unless I have people's permission since I have such a large audience. So I don't share a lot unless people are like, oh, can I be in your video or can I be in your Instagram reel or whatever else? Did you get some psychos, weirdos, people that you don't want to talk to? Oh, yeah. I've gotten some really bad uh, hate emails that made me want to be a little bit more private in terms of, like, my address and whatnot and where, I, where exactly. And they were people who were envious of your success? Well, one, um, his name's Scott. He emailed me six times to tell me how Hello, much. Hello, Scott. Oh, <laughs> hi, Scott. To tell me how much he hated my book and how I should stay out of literature and whatnot. Um, I ended up turning it into a little TikTok series where I just responded to his emails or reacted to them on my TikTok and it went viral. And then there were bookstores getting involved and putting up little recommendations by my book saying, don't listen to Scott or Scott doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Really fun. She's also had people email her and say things like, you know, uh, for the type of content you put in your books, you deserve to be like thrown in jail and beaten. Yeah. You, uh, uh, if your stuff ever gets turned into a movie, I'll lead a boycott against it. Um, you should get out of literature, uh, switch to another job. So you should go and live in an apartment building full of drug. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that's, I guess that's just par for the course, Geneva. That's the nature of fame in our, in our TikTok world, isn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, you're not gonna please everyone and people are gonna go out of their way to make sure they get their negative message to you. Yeah. Which well, if Scott's watching, uh, Geneva is clearly not someone you wanna mess with. She's certainly a master mm -hmm. or a mistress of 
manipulation in terms of media messages. Finally, uh, you mentioned that um, this is a multimedia effort. You, you, as I said on TikTok, you 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 did a lot on the the audio book. How important is it, do you think, particularly in fiction, to have a, a strong audio component and, of course, video? And at what point will these industries, the, the book business, the audiobook industry, and the video businesses, will they simply merge and they'll be indistinguishable, particularly perhaps in our age of AI? Um, I think with this one, since it's audio only, um, and it's, that's what the big trend or it's starting to become a trend in publishing is to do these audio only projects that are fully cast with sound effects. So it's like this very immersive listening experience. And it's kind of like this big step up from just the standard audio book where someone is narrating it. So I think these industries, they're, they're combining the different multi media, the film, the books and the audio experience. I think it's just going to continue to blend even more. Um, right, and you have a full cast. You've got Abelardo Campuzano and Jennifer Damiano with a full cast. So this is this is podcast territory as well. Yeah, Abelardo, um, he's actually a huge TikTok star. He's got over 5 million followers. So that was fun seeing him, you know, narrate the... Here's Apple Podcasts. Oh. Sorry, there was a problem with Apple Podcasts. There he is. She heard podcasts and wanted to chime in. That's, it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I don't like about technology right there. Um, so that was really cool seeing him come in. He's a TikTok star playing an aspiring TikTok top star. And then Jennifer Damiano is a Broadway star. Um, so that was really cool seeing them narrate these characters and bring them to life. In a way, though, just as you got the, the top billing, Geneva, maybe the audio gets the top billing and the book is the, is the after sale. I mean, there is no, there's no like physical book with this. It's just an audio original, but like. Oh, so there's no book at all. There's no, no physical thing. It's written. It was written exclusively to be an audio drama. So what are you doing on my show, on this book show? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm joking. I'm not. A, you know, I like what you're doing. Do you think that the book will eventually come out or are you just happy with the audio? I mean, we would have to rewrite it because we wrote it as a script. So uh, for audio, so instead of like stage direction, that's actually where we're doing sound direction in there. And we're saying like the sounds we want put in there. And then it's all dialogue by character. So if we were to release this, which we've gotten a lot of people asking since all of my other projects are obviously physical books, um, if we would ever write this as a physical book. And it's something we've talked about um, lengthening it and putting it as an actual novel. No, it's good stuff. It's like it's really excellent to see entrepreneurial, talented people uh, innovate when it comes to entertainment, audio, and books. Geneva Rose and Drew Pine, uh, co-authors of Crime Time, uh, built around a, a true crime story in your own building in Chicago. Final question: We're asking everyone who comes on on the Keenon Show this month. Well, it, we live in, of course, in the age of AI, and both, I'm sure you've both been playing around with ChatGPT and all these other interfaces. What big problem in the world, and maybe you can each respond here, what big problem in the world would you like AI to solve in the 2020s or 2030s? You can go first, Drew. <laughs> um, you know, when I think about that, there's, you know, you'd, there's elements where you'd like you'd like uh, if you could take ego out of things, where ChatGPT could maybe like you know hash out diplomacy issues that would prevent people from going to war in the first place. But then, as soon as I think about that, I think of any like you know science fiction uh, film or novel, and I wonder the day where then AI turns on us and we end up 
being the victims of <laughs> of the people that were saving us in the first place. But yeah, it would be interesting to see where they could have a role in terms of taking ego out of things to, you know, peacefully uh, diplomat things. No ego, Geneva. Is that possible? Even with a, with the AI or we're never really going to, you're a crime writer. We're never going to really get rid of, it, of ego, are we? No, because it's, it's based on the people that develop it and write the code. And I'm sure those people have egos too. So to put it mildly, I'm out in Silicon Valley. They got bigger egos than all of us put together. So, so how would you like AI to? Um, mine, mine would probably just be let's have it so all the cars are just controlled by AI. There's no more car accidents. You can go as fast as you want. You can relax in your vehicle, and it's just all based on an algorithm. So you put it in, and you get there. And mine's more selfish. I just don't want to have to drive or deal with traffic. And there, I don't think there would be traffic then, because I don't understand traffic if everyone is moving. That's why you need AI. 